I just want to say uh, that I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you at First Baptist Tullahoma. Um, Jeannie and I pastored in East Tennessee for um, a couple of decades. We grew up on the Gulf Coast, and I pastored there on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Grew up in Alabama, pastored on the Mississippi Gulf Coast for about 17 years before God led us to Tennessee. We weren't raised in Tennessee, but got here just as fast as we possibly could. And uh, pastored, uh, the last church we pastored was First Baptist Church of Sevierville, was there nearly a decade Right in the shadow of the Smoky Mountains, uh, just two blocks away from the statue of Dolly Parton on the grounds of the courthouse, and absolutely loved pastoring where we also loved to go on vacation. And then God led us to Nineveh, I mean Nashville, and uh, been here about uh, in our 12th year and really appreciate working with churches all across our state. And of course, First Baptist Tullahoma has been kind of an anchor, and um, it gives me an opportunity to thank you. Uh, you've given of yourselves tremendously. A matter of fact, my predecessor, James Porch, pastored here. And then before Dr. Porch, Dr. Madden became the executive director of the Tennessee Baptist Convention. And uh, so you have supplied folks to serve on committees and boards, former staff members, laymen from the pews, and uh, we can't thank you enough. I want to thank you for the resources that you've given. The golden offering for Tennessee Mission is to Tennessee Missions what Lottie Moon is to international missions and the home, uh, uh, the, the Annie Armstrong is to North American missions. Every dime of it goes to ministry and missions right here in Tennessee for things like leader development and church revitalization and church planting and compassion ministries, uh, feeding ministries, disaster relief, and I could go on and on. And this year, First Baptist Telehoma, if the trend continues in your giving, you will cross over $100,000 in your giving through the golden offering. And I just cannot thank you enough for what you're doing. Matter of fact, some good news is that uh, this year we will surpass $2 million in a year. And we have seen this offering grow by almost 40% in the last seven years, and God is honoring. And Tennessee's a mission field any way you slice it. We are a mission field. We are not a churched field. Now, we've got a lot of churches, but the gap between those that know the Lord and don't know the Lord is growing rapidly all of the time. Some great news. The Middle Tennessee area over the next five years is going to grow by another 200,000 people. So when you get on the interstate, you'll just drive car on top of car on top of car. But it is a golden opportunity to reach the world by reaching our neighbors. Second thing I want to thank you for is that you have given over $5,370,000 through the cooperative program. That incredible, miraculous missions fund that supports missionaries around the globe and work right here at home like our own children's homes, which have been in existence over 100 years, Christian education, and so much more. So I can't begin to thank you enough for being a leader across the state in your incredible giving through the cooperative program. So thank you so very much for that. 
And uh, listen, during this interim time, when you're praying about God's shepherd, I want to encourage you to do something. Number one, develop another level of gratitude. Develop another level of appreciation. Thank God for your Bible study teachers. Thank God for those that are serving and leading in other areas. Be extremely appreciative of your staff from those that minister by taking good stewardship of these grounds and these beautiful buildings by keeping them up. Those, those that are on the platform on Sunday morning, Tom and this, these wonderful instrumentalists and these choir, this choir, to Andy and the rest of your staff, make sure you let them know you appreciate the load they're carrying while you, while you are searching for a leader. Because lives are being transformed by what First Telehoma is doing. That is seen by the last stat I want to give you, and that is this. We didn't start keeping track of this until the 1940s. But you have seen, and the thing I'd want to tell you above everything else, but you have seen over 2,700 people saved and baptized and set on the road to discipleship right here at this church. That is remarkable and enough to praise the Lord for. Amen? Amen. It's good to see so many children here. I love to see so many children. Uh, and, and the reason it's exciting is because we're in a different church just about every Sunday, and we're in too many churches where the youth group begins at age 70. <laughs> and uh, so it's good to see so many children here and appreciate you being here. To say the last few years have been difficult and tough is really an understatement, isn't it? And it seems like it just doesn't let up. It seems like every day we're hearing about another friend, another acquaintance that's going through a difficult time. Whether it's an economic difficult time, whether it is COVID, whether it is some other illness. I mean, our prayer list is longer than it has ever been before, and I'm sure that yours is too. Most of our churches have not recovered from the year of cancellation and shutdown that we went through that was 2020 into 2021 and now somewhat into 2022. Attendance across the board is running at about 60 to 80 percent, maybe 85 percent of what it was pre-COVID. But I think it has been a pruning of the Lord because the generosity and the intensity of those believers that are intact, that are coming, that are active, that intensity, that, that generosity, that involvement, I think is at a new level. I think believers are tuning in and turning on to what God wants them to do. There's been a pruning that I think will produce new growth. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with Bill Elliff, pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas. His brother Tom was former president of the International Mission Board. And what Bill did during these three or four days we were together is that each day, a couple of times a day, he would come in and he would tell the old stories about revivals and spiritual awakening in America. And some of the precursors to the spiritual awakenings and revival that happened in America over the last 200 years, we're seeing those again. There are prayer pockets popping up all over the place where people 
desire to see what God can do and not what we can do. Well, in these difficult days, in these tough times, what is it that God wants us to do? What meaning do we recover? There was a little boy that was on his way to school for the first day of school, and it was long before parents hovered and celebrated everything their kids did. Gave them a reward for taking a bath and things like that. Well, this little boy's mom had put his birth certificate in his hand and said, son, when you get to school, you'll need to give this to your teacher. He had walked a short distance to his school, but when he got to school, he noticed that he didn't have a birth certificate, and he sat on the steps and started crying. The principal saw the little boy and sat down beside him and said, son, what is wrong? And the little boy said, I've lost my excuse for being born. Paul and Silas were two that had been appointed by God to spread the gospel. And they were going from place to place, strengthening churches, planting churches, and having an apostolic kind of ministry. And uh, in, in Acts 16, if I can tell you a little bit of the story, then we'll read the scripture. But in Acts 16, the apostle Paul and Silas were uh, wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit told them, no, on two occasions, you're not going to Asia. And so the Paul and Silas uh, had a direction in a dream, Paul did, to come to Macedonia, the area that Philippi is located in. And so Paul and Silas went to Philippi, and in Philippi, God introduced them to some people that were very receptive to the gospel. And there were some business women and businessmen there that decided to become financial supporters of the Apostle Paul Evangelistic Association. They let the Apostle Paul and Silas live in their homes. And boy, God, the word was spreading and people were coming to Jesus and a revival's breaking out in that city. If you want to reach the na nations, reach your neighborhoods. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. And the Apostle Paul and Silas were reaching Philippi where they were residing at the time and God was doing an incredible work. If you read the book of Philippi, you find that Philippi became the unofficial headquarters of the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And he wrote this affectionate letter to the church at Philippi, to the Christians there. And it was just something that was really sweet, really special. You could just sense the affection in that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And, um, but something happened. There was a young lady that was a slave girl to some men in Philippi, and they made money off of her because she had this evil spirit that allowed her to tell fortunes. And she harassed the Apostle Paul and Silas. Now, what she said was the truth. She said, these are men of God that are proclaiming the truth. But she did it in a mocking manner, evidently. And she harassed the Apostle Paul and Silas wherever they went. And the Apostle Paul turned to this speak to the demon that was in the girl and cast the demon out and the girl was made whole but there was a problem the problem was the men that owned this slave girl no longer had that revenue stream they could no longer make money off of her 
That upset some people, and that's where we pick it up in Acts chapter 16. Turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 22, and I want you to do something that's just a habit of mine. I picked it up when I was preaching through Nehemiah once, and uh, uh, the people did it when Ezra came out and was reading the word. Would you mind standing in honor of the precious and powerful word of God as we look at Acts 16, verse 22 and following. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. The judges had the clothes of Paul and Silas torn off, and commanded them, Paul and Silas, to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them and threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having retrieved such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, there's a big gap. I mean, there there are some things indescribable that are going on between the time that they beat them and they're singing hymns. And so remember that we're going to fill in that blank in just a second. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all were who were in his house And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when they had brought them into his house, he set food before them and rejoiced. And having believed in God with all of his household, this was a Baptist household. And the reason I know it is because it's probably three in the morning here. They're having a baptismal service and they're having an uh, eating. I mean... That's what Baptists do. Anything we do that's special, we got to have some food with it. And may I say that it's not very sanctified if banana pudding is not somewhere in the mix. Hey, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is perfect. It is precious. It speaks to our heart. Do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? When we first came to Tennessee in 92, I pastored First Baptist Church of Morristown. <clears throat> and it was there in Morristown that um, uh, they had a member named Gerald Wolf, And Gerald had a southern gospel group called Greater Vision. Any southern gospel people in here familiar with southern gospel music, great that I'm about to educate the rest of you on this. 
Greater Vision has been probably one of the premier gospel singing groups that have been around the last uh, 30 years. And uh, Gerald was a member of the church, and then Rodney Griffin and his wife, Regina, joined our church. I've got a picture of Rodney, I think, up here. There's Rodney. Now, when I was his pastor, he had hair. (laughs) Me being his pastor had nothing to do with Rodney losing his hair. He was in his early 20s when I became his pastor. 1999, he started writing some gospel music. And in 1999, he wrote a song called God Wants to Hear You Sing. And it was about Paul and Silas in prison. And um, it really took the passage of Scripture here, interpreted in song as to what God wants us to do When we are suffering. Now, this song has been recorded by over a hundred different artists. There's a book that's been written by the same title. There have been um, hundreds and hundreds of the soundtracks sold. Greater Vision for the last 20 years has closed out every concert with this one song. And at their product table where they sell their Uh, CDs and whatever else they have to sell after a concert, the thing that Rodney told me that everybody that comes to the table seemingly wants to talk about has how that song has ministered to their hearts and lives. Listen to this verse out of it. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing around you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstance is as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. That's when God wants to hear you sing. I was talking to one of our pastors here in Tennessee, Robbie Gallaty, on Monday morning, and uh, Robbie was telling me that he had just read or just heard somebody say to him that when satanic attack is ramped up, when you're being attacked, when there is trouble all over, that is Satan signaling to you that God is about to do something special if you'll allow him to. If you do not succumb... If you do not throw in the towel, if you hang in there, if you fight the good fight, if you get involved in spiritual warfare and understand that Jesus is on his throne and Jesus is Lord, then God is about to do something special in your heart and in your life. Now, let me back up and talk about Paul and Silas's agonizing suffering. In verse 22, the Bible says he was beaten with rods. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to suffer. He knew trouble. Anytime the Apostle Paul says things like pray without ceasing, anytime the Apostle Paul gives us some instruction about speaking truth, anytime the Apostle Paul writes anything in the New Testament, listen, he's been there. He's been there. He knew about pain. He knew about physical pain. When the Bible says beaten with rods, it reminds me that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul gives us an executive summary of his suffering. He just jots it down. 
Jeannie was reading this morning in the book of Job in her devotion time. She's going through it, and she mentioned about how mean his friends were to him, his best friends. Even his wife said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Well, you, can, you don't have to go very far in the Bible to find characters that knew what it was to suffer. And you don't have to go very far to see what a Christ follower does with the suffering they're going through. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul said, I was whipped by the Jews five times. Now to be whipped by the Jews, they had a limit. They had a limit of 39. They, they could not be, they could not whip one of their own more than 39 stripes. But get this, the apostle Paul had been whipped <clears throat> by the Jews 195 times. <clears throat> it was taking a whip to the back. The apostle Paul's back, because of all the scar tissue, probably would have looked like a waffle iron by the time he is writing the second letter to the church at Corinth. But he says, not only was I whipped by the Jews five times, I was beaten with rods by the Romans three times, including the time here in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi. They would take these stiff limbs off of some type of hardwood. It would have been as hard as a very thick bamboo rod. And they would take whatever rod this was and they would beat the person until the person beating the victim was just too tired to beat him anymore or until that person was dead. One of the cruelest things they did if they wanted the person to live is they hung them up by the ankles and they would take the rods and they would beat their feet. Do you know that you have more feet in your, in your, you have more bones in your feet than any other part of your body? And they would beat their feet until practically every bone in their feet was broken. They would be crippled for life. The Apostle Paul and Silas were beaten by these, with these rods by the Roman soldiers. They were convicted of a crime they did not commit. They, it was not the jurisdiction that the Apostle Paul and Silas should have come before these magistrates in Philippi. There were a lot of justice that was not done according to the Roman law at that time. And yet they were beaten to within an inch of their lives. The Apostle Paul in this 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians talks about being shipwrecked three times, spending 24 hours at sea, and having been stoned nearly to death. The same kind of stoning that the Apostle Paul all oversaw when the people stoned Deacon Stephen to death. To say that the pain that Paul was in in this jail was excruciating is an understatement. They, when, when they put his... When they put him in chains, they were talking about the fact that they put his legs in some stocks, a big piece of wood, maybe a timber, eight by eight, and they would fasten, spread the legs out, fasten them to these stocks to the point that the muscles in the legs around these broken bones would be cramping. And then they put their hands in stocks. No telling how much blood had been lost. No telling 
what this dungeon smelled like. They put him in the inner prison. If you read the language here, it says the inner prison. The jailer, the jail probably was under the jailer's house. It would have been hewn into a stone compartment. If you've ever been to the Holy Land, you've seen what they said they thought was this jail with a doorway on top of it, and then you go down. It's very cramped. It's not as big as the aisle here of this church. And then back in the back, you would have another compartment where Paul and Silas were. There'd be no daylight if it was in the middle of the day. But this is in the middle of the night. It's midnight. It's dark. The other prisoners, we know there were other prisoners there. We don't know if there were two or 20. But the cussing and the agony and the screaming would have been going on, the stench, the, the no humane treatment in this place. And that's where Paul and Silas were. But listen, the physical pain was not all Paul had on his mind. Because he, he got through with this executive summary in 2 Corinthians 11, and he gets to verse 28, and after he lists these things, he says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. I want to tell you something. Your pastor, your associate pastors, they walk with broken hearts. Do you think it is possible that when we share our burdens with our pastors, that our pastors have some kind of box in their office, that they take those burdens and they put them in a lockbox to be brought up later? Absolutely not. That's why making sure your pastors take their time away. That's why you encourage them to rest up, that you encourage them to be alone with the Lord. The Apostle Paul said this physical suffering was one thing, but the spiritual, emotional, mental suffering of my concern for the churches and the believers was real. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which came to us in Asia, for we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had a sentence of death on ourselves. Burdened beyond measure. The physical pain, the emotional pain. I know that you, some of you in this room right now, whether it is physical pain, whether it is emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, some of you right now are identifying with the Apostle Paul. Or you've been there sometime in your life. Or you are there right now. Or there's a storm coming. What are you as a Christ follower going to do about that? How are you going to respond one of my mentors was a guy named Fred Wolf. And Fred Wolf said something one day that I wrote down in a Bible. He said, it is not your circumstances, but how you respond to your circumstances that determine if you are an overcomer or if you are overcome. In the lion's den, Daniel looked at the holy Lord, not at the hungry lions.
in the midst of agonizing suffering, there was amazing singing. In Acts 16, 25, the Bible says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Notice three quick things. Number one, the time at midnight. It was at midnight. It was the darkest hour of the night. With broken, bruised, and beaten bodies, Paul and Silas decided to worship. At a moment of incredible burdens, they decided to worship. When we come together to sing praises to the Lord, it shouldn't be something we do just because we do it. I mean, you need to tune in and lift up your eyes and look to the Lord and worship Him and Him alone. You're not singing for the benefit of everybody else in here. The audience is not Brother Tom. The audience is Jehovah God. And in the darkest moment of their lives, alone by themselves, in a room crowded with strangers, Paul and Silas started praying and singing unto the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said this, Any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when you can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. It is unnatural to sing in the midst of suffering. It is unnatural to praise the Lord in the midst of pain. It just isn't right. You can't do it in the flesh. There's no way you can sing in in your midnight hour in your own power and in your own strength. It is impossible. It is natural to be angry. It is natural to be unforgiving. It is natural to lose all hope and all joy. It is natural to curse God. It is natural to be bitter with God and the world and blame your circumstances on other people. It is totally of God when you're able to sing a song at midnight. Job knew that. That's why he said in Job 35:10, our maker who gives songs in the night. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalms 42, 8, and in the night his song will be with me. But not only notice the time, notice the audience. In verse 25, the Bible says, and the prisoners were listening to them. These prisoners who had their own problems were looking at something they had never seen in their lives. These two men that had been beaten nearly to death and chained, they weren't cursing the jailer. They weren't cursing the judges that put him in there. They were praising the Lord. They were honoring God. And the prisoners were watching. Do you know people are watching you? For those of you that have children or grandchildren, they're watching you. They know the attitude you possess. They know the gratitude that you express. They know if Jesus is real in your heart or not in your heart. They see it. They know it. Your neighbors are watching. People are seeing what you write online. They're seeing what you post on Facebook. They are watching. Someone has well said, you are writing a gospel a chapter each day by deeds that you do, by words that you say. 
Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? And then notice God's response. It's midnight. The prisoners are watching. And then God responds. The Bible says in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loose. Paul and Silas's response in their midnight was no matter what hell throws at us, we're going to praise the Lord. And God's response in a miraculous fashion was Paul and Silas, no matter what hell throws at you, this is my response. I'm going to be with you and you're going to know it. He said to the prisoners, these are my boys and I'm with them. And when the jailer came running in after the earthquake, God said to him, you need to be saved. (laughs) And these guys are going to tell you how to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart and you will be saved. The question is not, will you have a midnight? The question is, do you have a Savior to give you a song in that midnight hour? I feel sorry for the lonely person that is going through life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. All of us have the issues. I feel sorry for the person that's walking through life that doesn't have the shepherd with them, that does not have Jesus with them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing a fiery furnace had a song, Our God is able to deliver us. Job losing his family, his fortune, his health had a song. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. John the beloved on the lonely isle of Patmos had a song. His song was, The King is Coming. You see, for the Christ follower, he gives us a song to sing in her suffering, a testimony in the midst of a trial, a platform of praise in the middle of our pain, a miracle of his presence in the midst of our midnight. There's pastor over in Thompson Station. He's a friend named Tom McCoy. Tom's dad was a longtime pastor at First Baptist Church of Dixon, I didn't know him, but Dr. McCoy, understand, was a very scholarly man. He just had his act together. He was very loved. His wife was a uh, just prim and proper, refined lady, dignified, Tom's mom. She died long after Tom's daddy died, and uh, Tom said that in the latter years of her life, she went through what some are going to go through, a midnight of the mind. She had Alzheimer's, and Tom said she, I would walk in, and she wouldn't know who I was. I'd visit her often, and she got to the place where she didn't talk, she didn't visit, she didn't say much of anything, she didn't know anything. But Tom said one day I was visiting my mom and I was getting close to her door going into her room. I heard something and I recognized it was my mom's voice. And in the midnight of her mind, her voice got strong and in the recesses of her spirit, God gave her a song. And this is what she was singing. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Would you stand? I'm going to ask you to do something. I want to keep those words up on the screen. And what I want you to do is this. Jesus said, cast all of our care upon him because he cares for us. Some of you right now are carrying a load that you're not meant to carry. Your lives have been shattered. Your hearts have been burdened. As a friend, you may have somebody going through that and you're sharing in that burden. Why don't right now you cast all your burden upon the Lord? Right where you're standing, cast all your care upon the Lord. The Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I've seen something in your life. I've never seen anybody else's life He said to Paul and Silas, and I want what you have. Friend, today, if you want to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to invite you right now, right where you're standing, to say, Father, I want to know you. I believe Jesus with all in my heart. I give him my life. I give him my heart. And I turn away from my sin. And the Bible says that the Lord will save you. If that's the desire of your heart, Brother Andy will be around, Brother Tom will be around, I'm going to stick around, we want to talk to you about that. But I want us all to sing what Mrs. McCoy sang with all of our heart to the Lord, and uh, then Brother Tom will come and conclude the service. Let's sing that together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him abundantures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy.